Hey coach, when you think about the beginning of the school year, how do you feel? Unsure? Doubtful? Overwhelmed? You're not alone. Since the dawn of time, instructional coaches have been left to figure things out on their own, resulting in frustration and failure. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, let's start the year with a roadmap that tells you exactly what to do each day for the exponentially important first 20 days of school. The things you do that first month of school will make or break your coaching year. Let's do the right things together. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash startup to join the waitlist for my instructional coaching startup course. The course opens in mid-July, but if you join the waitlist, you'll receive a coupon code for 15% off when the course opens up. I can't wait to help you start strong and coach better this year. My favorite summer coaching event is just around the corner and I want to see you there. This is the fifth year of the Simply Coaching Summit, the first virtual conference for coaches, and I've been a part of it every single year. This online conference for instructional coaches is on July 10th, 11th, and 12th, and it'll give you everything you need to change your school one step at a time. The summit is three days of keynotes, live workshops, and pre-recorded sessions. I'm giving a workshop about what coaches should do the first couple of weeks of school, focusing on building your coaching menu from start to finish. But there is so much more to this summit that you have to see for yourself. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash summit to save your spot. The best part is that you have six months to watch the videos. So if your summer plans didn't include some cozy PD at home on the couch, you can watch them when you're back at school. Check out buzzingwithmissb.com slash summit and I will see you soon. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast, and I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, this is the last episode in our specialty coaching series. We've talked with a traveling SPED coach, an early childhood coach, and now we're going to talk to a coach who works with ESL and ELL classrooms. This population of students makes up a huge percentage of schools and it's growing every day. And honestly, it's a wonderful thing that our country is finally (laughs) doing more to support learning more than one language like so many other countries do as sort of a standard thing. Being bilingual is an amazing gift and it's helping students grow their English language skills and ideally maintaining the home language as well. And that's really a challenge in a lot of schools. So that's why I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Risa Woods. So welcome to the podcast, Risa. Hi, so good to be here. I'm so glad that you're here too. Um, I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners, maybe talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up here and what kind of work you're currently focusing on. Sure, yeah. So my name is Risa Woods. Um, I am... um, an educator. I started, you know, I've, I've done lots of different roles. So I've been in education for about 11 years. Um, anything from being a para, um, an ELL teacher, an instructional coach, um, contract work. Um, I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I have my master's of, master of arts in teaching English as a second language and a master of education in language and literacy with an ELL emphasis. Um, the majority of my time in education has been with English learners. Um, some will know as multilingual learners, depending on uh, the mm-hmm. district. Um, but I, yeah, I saw um, in my own work and in, in um, 
in my own experience, I saw a lot of general education teachers who struggled with the English learners in their classrooms. So, um, and the, be- the me- beginning of my work, I did mostly newcomer beginner, so that um, maybe students who just arrived in the country from um, other countries, uh, refugees, students who had um, unlimited or limited or interrupted education. And then um, in the later half of my career, I have done more um, push in, pull out and co-teaching with teachers. And that's when I started to notice, man, like there is a huge gap in what teachers know um, for serving language learners. Mm -hmm. And um, did a little bit of my own research and found um, it wasn't just my experience. It's it's across the country that um, there's a, a huge need for coaching of general education teachers f- with um, English learner strategies. And um, so I, I went out on my own and started my own um, consulting business to do this work mm-hmm. because I think it's important. Um, and yeah, so that's, I started my own educational consulting business and um, yeah, so I do uh, professional developments, one-on-one coaching, um, coaching of leadership, consulting work, and um, yeah, so that's why that's where I come from today. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I actually, um, I think I mentioned this to you whenever we talked a little bit over Instagram, but I am from El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so here we have, the majority of people are actually bilingual and our schools are almost all have some, they all have some sort of bilingual program, whatever that looks like, that looks different mm-hmm. in different places. Um, and my daughter goes to a, um, one of the larger districts and they have dual language two-way, which mm-hmm. is really nice because two-way mm-hmm. dual language is whenever kids coming from both backgrounds, like we have a lot of kids coming who are monolingual English speakers and many who mm-hmm. are monolingual Spanish speakers, and mm-hmm. they're being exposed to both um, languages in an academic setting. So like one day or one part of the day, they do all English, one part of the day, they do all Spanish, and then they go back and forth. And mm-hmm. then they continue this throughout elementary school and up into middle school, mm-hmm. which is nice because the whenever I was a teacher the district that I, and, the, and a coach as well, the district that I taught at didn't feel that they had the population to do a two-way mm-hmm. program because that's a huge consideration. Like, do right. we have the kids um, to come in that have strong English and have strong Spanish? Right. And um, so we didn't have kids with, with like lots of academic Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of kids whose only Spanish was very conversational and that was right. all of their language. You at know? home, yeah. Yeah. So then, and like you said, a lot of kids who had been um, there their education had been inconsistent to that point, mm-hmm. you know? And so we did not have a two-way model. We had a one-way model and it was mm-hmm. early exit. And okay. so early exit is by the time they're in fifth grade, the majority of their day, it's like 30 minutes of their day is in Spanish. Everything else is in English. And so mm-hmm. we're not really honoring the home language as much with that model, you know, right. to a degree, but it's to phase it out. Right. You know? And so I'm excited that my child can participate in two-way model. Yeah. But, that's but amazing. That's, it is. It's not, I mean, it's not an opportunity that you have everywhere right. just because you don't have the, the kids. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, or something you, know? you have to pay, you know, for a private school or yes. au pair or, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah. Yeah, that's true. My brother and sister-in-law live in Austin and they had their kids in a, like an early childhood program that was, that was two languages, but the, mm-hmm. other than that, it's not offered, you know, in the public schools. So yeah. it's just a standard public school thing here. And I'm really, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've loved seeing the different models of, 
of language acquisition that different mm-hmm. places use. And it's really interesting. So mm-hmm. if you would, I would love to hear from you a little bit about what is special about coaching, whether it's ESL or like ELL students, we call here, we call them ELL English language learners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's so many different terms. There are <laughs> everybody has a different name and as long as it's respectful, I think, right. I think that's fine. Um, right. I know that's why ESL was phased out in a mm-hmm. lot of places because it's not necessarily the second language. Right. Some yep. of these kids there's like English that. as a new language, English as another language and yes. yeah, English <laughs> for speakers of other languages. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's, it's interesting, but basically we're talking about kids who are not coming into school with an English background. They do not mm-hmm. have English as a language tool in their toolbox. Mm-hmm. So what is special about coaching these kinds of classrooms? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think knowing the language development process is special. It's, it's special to know um, that students will be at different stages of their language acquisition and um that you can meet them where they are, no matter what. Um, that there are strategies that you can use no matter where they're at. Um, I think it's also special um, to hear their stories. And I mean, any student, obviously, is special to hear their story. But they do come in with unique experiences that maybe um, we have an experience that we can bring to the classroom and allow them to flourish in the classroom. And I think that's really special um, to hear their story and to hear their background and to, and to um allow them to flourish and and be welcome in our spaces and not say, you know, I think um, traditionally in America, we've said things like melting pot (laughs) because Mm -hmm. um, the idea is that they become like us and we strip them of their language and culture and and, um, we say, okay, all right, you know, English, English only, here we are. Um, but rather it's special to say, no, you can, you can be who you are and, um, you can keep your identity and be welcome here with that identity. And, um, yeah, we, we welcome you here and we're so glad you're here. And yeah, I think that's really special It is to have that opportunity. Yeah. It is to, to honor <clears throat> the culture of the child and the person that they come to school as instead of saying, okay, no, that's who you are at home, but at right. school and in the business workplace. And it just continues, right. you know, you are a different person in society. Right. You have to learn how to function in different cultures and different and um, different spaces as different people. And so it's really special to be like, no, you can be yourself here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that term melting pot because I've, I've heard it used in a lot of people who are they're not intending mm-hmm. to use it in a negative way. Right. That was what we were raised with. Right. Yeah. It it's, was. it's America's amazing. It's a melting pot. Yes. The people yeah. from all over come together yep. and then we make this amazing American culture. Right. Um, but, but I think like, you know, more like a, a soup, like with little mm-hmm. chunks of things <laughs> separate or like a, a fruit salad, salad maybe yeah. Yeah, yeah. the Wiggles have that fruit salad song. I don't know. I mentioned I have a two-year-old and yeah. that new fruit salad song that came out a few years ago. And they talk about how everybody's got their own thing, but they're all in the same bowl. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really nice metaphor that actually right. represents, you know, what we're trying to do. You can still remain, if you're, you know, if you're a piece of pineapple, <laughs> you can still be a piece <laughs> of pineapple, um, but you're going to benefit from from being around all the other fruit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just holding diversity as, um, as something that's good and yeah. not something that we need to take away from students. And that goes for not just English learners and all students, but um, I think particularly English learners. Um, and I think a lot of English learners have pressure even from their parents to mm-hmm. assimilate. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've heard that. Oh, I'm sorry. I've heard that before of like, 
only speak English. We're only speaking English at home. And I'm like, you know, no, we're actually adding to your toolbox. Like you said, we're adding to your repertoire of what, you know, we're not stripping away of something you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that is, you know, that comes even from, from their homes, um, because that's what they've heard. And so, um, it's, it's just a, it's unique and special to say, no, actually you can still be you and be in my class. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point too. Um, we do see that, that, uh, in first generation kids, you know, that mm-hmm. they're, that are adults, they tend to pull away from the culture mm-hmm. more because they are mm-hmm. trying to assimilate. And sometimes right. that is driven by the parents when they're younger and then they don't realize, then later they get older and realize, oh man, this is actually driven a wedge between me and my kid because right. now yeah. we don't have, we don't share these things or their, their Spanish or their, their native language is not as strong. Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm, my dad is from Iran, so I'm a second generation immigrant. And yeah, I think I had that experience where, um, you know, I, it was kind of a both and of him and also just feeling like I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to be weird. I specifically remember donuts with dad and him coming and being like, it was kindergarten and being like, oh, none of the other kids look like him. Like none of the other parents look like him. Like, oh, this is weird. This is different. Like, I don't like that, you know? And, 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 you know, through my own journey, I didn't really learn Farsi because of that, because, you know, my dad spoke to me. I spoke English back because I didn't want to be different or strange or, you know? So I think that's another reason I have a passion for, no, you can actually be yourself here and your family can, you can have your family cultural that, you know, like even just bringing weird food from home that happened to me where it's like, oh, I have kebab and everyone else has chicken nuggets. You know, that's weird. (laughs) I don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That gives you a really great perspective on, on the kids that you're working with and helping them, you know, kind of figure out how to move in this place that is different than where they've come from. So I think that's a really special connection that you have with the kids. And it's, it gives you a perspective that maybe some of their teachers don't share so that you can open that up to them and help them realize, no, no, this is actually, maybe they could be feeling this way, you know, it's great. So what do you think? I think you may have already mentioned this, but what do you think is most important (laughs) about, about educating kids in adding English to their toolbox? Yeah, I think, um, the education of teachers um, is really important. I think um, so. A lot of the data I have is from before COVID, so I'm sorry about that. It's a little old, but um, in in the United States, uh, school year of 2019-2020, there were over five million English learners or students that identified as were identified as English learners, and they're one of the fastest growing demographics of our country. And um, my experience and, and just the research that shows um, there's a re- there was a study in 2018 by Sun Tabanyas and Gandara, and they discovered that over 70% of general education teachers, especially secondary, didn't feel equipped to teach English learners in their own classrooms. And I think that's shocking to say we've got a lot of students who even born here, not just a, not necessarily migrated here, who are classified as English learners, and we don't know how to serve them. So I, I think that is um, the biggest thing to say, you know, we, we call it an achievement gap, but they don't even have the opportunity, right? I like the term opportunity gap. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, you know, I mean, only 60% of English learners are graduating high schools in our country. So I to answer your question, I think that's that's what I think is number one right now is to prepare teachers. Um, and I know I, I've worked with a lot of schools that say, well, 
we have ELL staff. We don't really, you know, they do the, they do the job. It's their responsibility. And it's, it's interesting to me because especially intermediate or long-term learners, students who've, who have been in the ELL system for a while, they have less and less time with ELL teachers. They have the majority of their time is with general education teachers. That's where they're receiving their language development. So we really need to equip these teachers and coaches so that they can serve these students. Absolutely. Because otherwise the the, the opportunity gap is just going to keep widening. Yes. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, whenever my dad was a kid, um, he only spoke Spanish at home. Whenever he started mm-hmm. school, they for what I don't know why they waited till second grade, but in second grade, they held him back because the first year he learned English and the second year he learned second grade. That was the the mm-hmm. way that they saw it, you know. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, 20, 30 years later, my husband went to school also only having spoken Spanish at home Uh and he went to school, you know, with that, only that tool in his toolbox. And he, um, was able to learn, you know, the language at the same time as learning the content. Yeah. Um, and now he actually prefers to speak in English, kind of what we talked about a a Mm -hmm. while he's, uh, his parents came here whenever they were older, Mm -hmm. right before they had kids and, um, they came from Mexico. And so he, kind of pulled away from that a little bit. And, and he actually struggled in school. I think a lot of the issues were around his parents not being able to communicate with a teacher, mm-hmm. the teacher not even knowing what to say to the parents. Right. Um. So the parents said, no, that's not for me. That's not, mm-hmm. like, what is the point of me going to this thing? So the teacher can like gesture at the report card and have right. it like, I'll yeah. it, send it home. That's so a- It was <laughs> yeah. like the connection between school and home was just mm-hmm. not there. Yes. And, um, and so it was, and it was, it, he really struggled with that, I think. And academically, he probably would have been just fine if somebody mm-hmm. could have communicated with him. The parents, the best that they, they had not had an education really. Right. So yeah. the best that they need to do was to say, just go to school and do what your teacher says. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I had a lot of students who, you know, we would do home bit, which home visits were the best way to really reach families for me. Um, mm-hmm. We would do home visits and they would, you know, I think as teachers or coaches, we could say, oh, the, the family doesn't care. They never come to this. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that, that kind of rhetoric is used a lot but when I would have a conversation with them they would say things like what you're saying of like well we don't really know school we just we trust the teacher we say they say they would always have a phrase a lot of my um Congolese families they would say like well we're the I'm the parents at home and you're the parents at school and we trust you like it was it was it was like an honor for them to say that almost makes me want to cry that is like the sweetest thing Yeah. So I could say, oh, these parents don't care. They don't care about their, no, but no, they trusted me mm-hmm. to be their parents at school. And I, you know, had to explain, no, we actually want to partner with you and maybe we can build a bridge between home and school. But I, I think, yeah, mindset is so important in this work. And I, that's, I mean, you're getting to other things I want to say, but like <laughs> the mindset of, you know, instead of just automatically assuming this, this family does this or this child, you know, whatever, but actually being curious and asking, Oh, okay. Why would, why, you know? And I think that's, that was, that's part of the work too. It's like, we're, they're coming from a completely different cultural background. (laughs) So like, what does their culture say about education? Mm -hmm. What does their culture say about conferences? Like, are they used to going to a pizza movie night on Friday nights? Like, is that kind of strange or, you know, I don't know. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, Watch. that culture, the home home life of children absolutely impacts their school life. And mm-hmm. um, and we don't have the proper bridges in many cases. I remember I had mm-hmm. a student whenever I was a teacher who came from Hong Kong mm-hmm. and she spoke Chinese, Mandarin, Mandarin Chinese. And I struggled to get the resources that I needed to work mm-hmm. with her. She yeah. had a little amazing little translator that her parents had provided her with. Like an electronic mm-hmm. translator. Yeah. This was a long time ago. Right. <laughs> it was like, wow, that's incredible. You know, how it's like everybody has access on their phone, but it was right. that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and she used to like translate everything through this little translator. Mm-hmm. And it was she it was just a, a huge struggle for me as a teacher to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And a huge struggle, you know, to communicate with her parents because mm-hmm. the majority of people who speak another language here speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So we have those resources. I could grab right. a teacher from down the hall to translate right. for me if I needed, you know? Yeah. Nine out of 10 of them were bilingual, but I couldn't find somebody to translate for me in mm-hmm. Mandarin Chinese. Mm-hmm. So building those bridges are really important to parents and it's, mm-hmm. teachers are not always set up for success in that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like knowing um, the resources to use if, you know, uh, schools are, the policy of the of the United States is that schools are, supposed to provide an interpreter for, you know, events like IEP meetings or conferences. Um, I've been a part of so many schools, even with a majority English learner or um, that they just would um, use a brother, use a sister, use a friend, use, you know, and I'm like, we are legally bound to provide an actual interpreter, a a trained interpreter. And um, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things that um, I'm really passionate about, but also just is, is it's um, a lot of teachers don't know. <laughs> a lot right. of coaches don't know a lot of, even administrators don't know that these are the resources that they have or can use or need to use. Or um, fight for or demand. Or fight for it. Yeah. Advocate. Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That they deserve to, to hear that in their home language and not just by, you know, I would, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect at it. I'm conversational, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would get pulled in all the time. Can you talk to this parent? There's a parent meeting. Can you talk? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like right. I, I'm no, this is not fair to them to have me stumble through Spanish for them to hear something important from you. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. yeah the quality does matter for sure. The fluency <laughs> exactly. does matter. So what are some of the other challenges that are really unique to the kind of coaching that you do? Yeah, I'd say mindset is, is a, mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, I think honestly, mindset is one of the biggest, you know, I think a lot of people want to get into strategies and and not saying that those are important, but first, um, yeah, what do you believe about the English learners in your classroom or in your school? Um, what do you, what do you think about them? Do you hold high standards for them? Do you, um, you know, uh, I know it's, you know, we're several years removed from this, hopefully, but of having them sit in the back and play on their iPad or, you know, color, you know, that, that we're not that far removed actually from that. Hopefully, I hope we are, but um, where I don't know what to do with this kid. I would hear a lot um, as a coach. I don't know what to do with this kid. Um, And so just the mindsets of what teachers believe um, is huge and coaching teachers through um, just having an asset-based mindset towards students that they're not coming with a blank slate. They're not coming with nothing. They're coming with experiences. They're coming with linguistic experiences and cultural experiences. And um, yeah, that's a lot of like my conversations I try to have 
first before the strategies because these strategies aren't really going to do much if you think that they aren't capable, <laughs> that yeah. they, yeah. Yeah, the more that we can make connections to that home language, the more that we can can help kids use what they already have right. to build a bridge to the new language that they're learning, right. the more effective that's going to be. If we try mm-hmm. to silo it off and say, okay, you're going to, that's not going to help you here. We're going to start from scratch. Right. We're starting we're from scratch. Out. Yeah, because yeah. kids with stronger um, literacy skills in their native language, let's pick up a second language. Right. Absolutely. Yes. That, that is, um, research shows that, that students that have that home language um, base do pick it up or um, acquire it a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but not to say that students that don't have, I mean, obviously they have linguistic experiences, but maybe don't have the literacy experiences that right. they can't learn as well. Um, but yeah, just uh, mindset work is, is, is a lot of, mm-hmm. um, I'd have, you know, <laughs> there's actually one teacher I work with, she was teacher of the year. Um, she had a lot of accolades and she, you know, helped write curriculum for the district. Um, and she had a, a group of students push in that were English learners and she would have them sit on the floor. And then she would call them visiting students. And, and just like all these things that I'm like, okay, all right. There's a, there's a disconnect between like this wonderful pedagogical experience that she has and how she's treating English learners and what she thinks of English learners. And so that was like the first thing I thought it was like, wow, okay. What does she believe about these students? Like, Mm. um, are they as important? Can they sit in the chairs with the other students and can, are they, um, as worthy of her education or, you know, I don't know. Um, so that was a lot of conversations I had with her and, and that actually was a really great experience to, to, I don't know, um, advocate for equity for these students and and she eventually was like wow yeah I (laughs) I didn't know or I didn't see it or I've never known or I've never been trained or I just didn't know what to do right I hear that a lot I didn't know what to do so I just yeah yeah um yeah they get kind of thrown into situations sometimes they're having to make decisions in the moment so they're like um okay Uh, we'll sit right here yeah um kids these are our visitors and then from there it's established and that's just kind of what they do absolutely yeah I don't think uh, you know these teachers are being malicious but yeah yeah once we kind of zoom back and say actually that's not equitable that's Mm -hmm. it's not fair um for these learners but um yeah I don't yeah. know how to answer that question. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good point um, that the impact, we talk a lot about impact versus intention, right? Mm, and so the, mm-hmm. the intentions in some of these cases, like we've right. said with Melting Pot, the intention is not a right. bad intention, but right. the impact can be a, a negative impact on kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think teachers, um, yeah, they get uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. And um, that's probably similar to like, race conversations that you know teachers have I think there's like don't know what to do so I'm just yeah. gonna like, I might do the wrong thing or say yeah, exactly. the wrong I thing the so wrong I don't want to yeah and the problem is whenever we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing and we don't have a safe space to maybe do say the wrong mm-hmm. thing in then we never uncover right the stuff that's underneath that is maybe driving us to not realize that that's the wrong right. thing but we've right. never really dug past the superficial to get to the biases that we have and why yeah yeah I know uh, e- ELL teachers I've worked with, um, I know they are strong, passionate advocates. And I think sometimes they might, um, speaking of bridges, like they might burn that bridge between themselves and the and the classroom teacher because they see these things, they, they know what the right thing is to do and yeah. maybe come across as like a certain way. I've heard that from both ends of like, um, 
And so that I saw that a lot. And I my work also is just to build a bridge between the ELL teacher and, and the classroom teacher to say like, hey, we're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. Classroom teacher might not know as much as you do. You you ha- obviously are passionate or you're a great advocate, but like, how can we build that bridge instead of just like lighting a fire and burning it? <laughs> Um, saying they're not doing the right thing or they need to be doing this or this is the law. Like I heard, I heard that a lot of like, this is a law. They need to meet the lead. And like, of course it's a law. Yes, 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 it is. But let's, let's meet them where they're at and build them, like build their toolbox. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But you hear that from special ed teachers as well. Anybody who's in other people's classrooms Mm -hmm. and sees what's happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, from coaches, you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on right now? How do they think this is okay? But yes, yeah, um, yeah, and just taking a step back and and kind of meeting them where they are. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as coaches for sure. Yeah. So, what does the majority of your coaching work look like? Like, if you think about how you spend your time, what what happens most often? Yeah. So I have what happens and what I'm kind of pivoting towards. Okay. Um, I consult with schools right now um, for um, ELL compliance and. Um, professional development, I really want to focus on general education teachers. I, I do majority of my work is, is um, right now is, is uh, like whole school professional development and workshops and um, yeah. And the compliance piece of working with schools to make sure they're compliant, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm pivoting towards the general education teachers. So coaching them one-on-one um, or coaching coaches, um, working with leadership. I've done a little bit of that right now. Um, just like coaching leadership and what to do. And, um, yeah, the majority of my schools that I've worked with are smaller schools, like, uh, some rural, rural schools, it's hard to say, yeah. um, that, yeah, they only have a few students or they don't have, you know, this huge population where they even have an English language development team. Mm-hmm. And they're basically in the general education classroom most of the time. So what do we do? I have a newcomer from, Ukraine and you know they're mostly with us all day like what do we do and so um yeah so I've I've been working with that that's the majority of my time but um yeah pivoting towards um towards general education teachers and coaches yeah I think that's really important work um and you're right because teachers are so often unprepared Mm -hmm. um you know whenever I went to college I did have several classes classes on English language development Mm -hmm. and, you know, supporting kids who are ELL or, you know, Mm -hmm. we learned about like sheltered programs, all different kinds of programs. Um, Did you go to school in Texas? I did. I went to school at El Paso, Texas. Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they know like a lot of the teachers here are Mm -hmm. from this university. So they tend to prepare people for the place they're going to work. Right. Right. Um, So that, that did give me some background on it Mm -hmm. as a monolingual teacher. And then I planned closely with bilingual counterparts who were teaching in both languages. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but yeah, it's, I, I have seen the challenge that, that is working with students who are ELL in a monolingual environment. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how hard it is as well for bilingual teachers who are teaching both languages every day mm-hmm. to manage to do all the things and get kids really strong in both languages. Right. They get they get like a thousand dollar stipend and that's it. That's it. That was insanity <laughs> to me. The amount of translating these people yeah. do like to create materials because you know mm-hmm. you can never find the same materials. Right. Like it's 
we have we're blessed here with a lot of resources in both languages as far as those two languages go you're basically getting two teachers for the price of one <laughs> yeah it's wild yeah it is wild. and a translator somebody would have to serve as yeah. the official school translator because here we send home all materials in both languages english mm. and spanish but still yeah a, and that person got like probably a thousand dollar stipend too like <laughs> no so i mean general ed teachers have to do all the things and they can't mm-hmm. be experts in all the things right right so yeah they can be as you're working with these teachers who are general ed teachers and they're working mm-hmm. with ELL students how are you supporting them or how are you going to go about supporting them when they have really limited experience yeah it's a great question um I well, one thing is a lot of strategies that that work or that are helpful for um, English learners or multilingual learners help a lot of students. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love that about the strategies is, um, for example, visual aids. Like, what student is going to be hindered by visual aids? Mm-hmm. What student is going to be hindered by um, having you know the YouTube video that you're showing putting it on 0.75 speed? Mm-hmm. You know, what student is going to be hindered by acting out something that you just taught, like no one, right? Um, It's only going to help comprehension. So one thing I I do emphasize is that these strategies are um, tips that, that I would give is, is it's not just for this handful of students and, you know, I don't know, you don't have to differentiate and make 30 different lessons. It's it's actually going to help the majority, you know, special education students and, Students that have a 504 that aren't quite, you know, have an IEP or, you know, all these students. So um, that is the majority. Um, there's a term called comprehensible input. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you basically, probably define it. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know just with your back. But yes, I, I basically means um, speaking or teaching in a way where people can understand. And depending, um, for example, I'll give, you know, I have, I have two kids. So the way I talk to, I have a 13 month old, the way I talk to her isn't, I'm, I'm not reading the New York times to her or, you know, speaking, yes, I am speaking English and, and I'm speaking to her, but I'm speaking in a way on her level where she understands, right. I'm repeating. I'm mm-hmm. um, maybe, you know, I say like peekaboo, peekaboo, peekaboo. I show her over and over or um, I'm going to get your belly. And I, I go to her belly every time. So then she's like, oh, this is my belly. Right. Um, and it's the same, no, please don't do that with, uh, second language <laughs> learners, but, um, it is, or additional language learners, but it is the same that we can, um, speak or teach in a way where they understand. And if that means visuals, if that means slowing our speech, enunciating better, um, if anyone who's listening has ever, tried learning a second language yes. like it's mm-hmm. it's a lot more helpful when someone speaks slowly and, and with intention the words and space between Ugh. the words right <laughs> versus just like <laughs> um yes. yeah it, I would say I'm conversational in Spanish and there sometimes I'm like yes I have no idea what that person just said because <laughs> they spoke so fast or so like mm-hmm. with such slang or whatever um yeah mm-hmm. using less um idioms or phrases unless you define them like if obviously if you're in an ELA classroom and you're looking at figurative language and yes, but, you know, just speaking with students, maybe you can limit those or um, being more concise in what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just having all those strategies um, where you think about. Um, yeah. I always, I always say this to, to teachers and coaches. Um, I want you to picture yourself being dropped in a classroom in China. Like, 
what would help you understand if they're just speaking at you, you're going to check out like Mm -hmm. you are, you're going to put your head down. You're going to check out. You're going to be on your phone or whatever else. Um, but what if they have actions or gestures or they slow or they repeat a word or, you know, like that's going to be more engaging to you. And even if you don't know every single thing, Mm -hmm. you're going to, you're going to know what they're saying. They teach it in a way that's understandable. So, um, yeah, comprehensible input is really important. Um, also understanding the difference between social language and academic language is really important. Um, where a student is qualified or classified as an English learner and then teachers like, but they know English. It's fine. Uh, Like uh they're just, you know, they're a bad tester or they're, you know, and that could be true. I'm not saying there are other factors, but um, but it's like, no, actually they have the social language. They can talk to their friends. They can text, they can make mm-hmm. a TikTok video, but can they, how would they do in a classroom setting? Like I'll use myself as, a, as an example. I, my minor in college was Spanish and I felt pretty confident in my Spanish. And, and then I started my first class. It was the history of Spain. It was all in Spanish. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> This is so hard. It was, it was so hard for me. And I thought I I knew, I thought I knew a lot Mm -hmm. and I almost failed that class because I was so lost and I, I just wanted to check out. I wanted to give up, you know? And so I, yeah, like conversational language is much different than um, academic language. And um, we need to build, uh, make scaffolds so that academic language is more available um, to students. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> I like spoke a that, lot. <laughs> that you're talking about kind of like a universal design where we're building scaffolds in regularly mm-hmm. in our instruction that are right. going to meet all students needs. And we're considering right. okay, what, what kind of, you know, people make up our classroom, right. Ensuring we have things to support those kids mm-hmm. and that it's not going to harm other kids. And then if right. we're differentiating response, if we're differentiating product, mm-hmm. um, and then we're having different opportunities for kids to do work at different levels, but the input is comprehensible to most. Right. I mean, there are kids who are, I mean, they're, they're going to miss pieces of it, right? right Even right, if we're right. trying to focus on comprehensible input. And hopefully have, those students have a little bit more support. You know, if it's a newcomer in your classroom, hopefully they have a little bit more support in other ways um, with, if you're working with an English language development team. But um, yes, I would say, um, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say <laughs> scaffolding. Um, I lost it. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> Maybe it'll come to you in the next one. <laughs> okay. um, so if teachers or coaches are trying to support their teachers and they're trying to get them resources, mm-hmm. um, are there any resources that are especially helpful for teachers or coaches that they could look into for themselves or for the teachers? Yeah, I would say um, focus on... Um, do you, sorry, when you say resources, could you like define more of what you mean by that? Anything that you have found helpful, really. I mean, it can be mm-hmm. stuff, it can be professional development resources, but it can also mm-hmm. be things that have worked really well for kids. You know, mm-hmm. like I know that we had um, the last year that I was a coach on a campus, we were using the Wells program for English language development. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it was very difficult for our teachers to find the time of the day to do that with a small group of kids who were, mm-hmm. you know, who needed a lot of English support. So I actually would work with them. I would do a push-in model and work with those kids. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that was yeah. like one specific program that was specifically for English language development, but the progress is very slow is my mm. experience in that program. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you have any recommendations on resources that they can look into for kids or if, if it's PD resources as well. Yeah, I think, um, I think it, it probably depends on your, the model and your school, mm -hmm. um, and what, um, yeah, it, I think it would depend on your model and your school, like what subject you're teaching and, um, yeah, I can't think of any like one blanket resource that would be great for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I do, I, I don't know if you know who Valentina Gonzalez is, um, I follow her and and she's got a lot of um, her own stuff that comes out and um, that's really helpful for teachers. Obviously you can follow me um, on Instagram too, but uh, she's really great to, she's got a few books out that um, Larry Ferlazzo also is another one that they've got a few books out that, that help um, teachers with general education classrooms um, that I really respect and have um, different models. But yeah, I think it really depends on the model and, and um yeah, it's a little more, I, I would hate to just like blanket say everyone to do this um, because it is a little more, probably more specialized than that. Um, but those are two authors I would say that I would check out if I were them. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for all of the information that you shared today. Yeah. Um, I you. get now to ask my favorite question, which is <laughs> what is your favorite thing right now? And it can be, you know, a book, a movie, an activity, anything that you're enjoying. Yeah, um, I have been really jazzed about Abbott Elementary. Have you watched oh, it? <laughs> I have seen a few. I visited my brother <laughs> last March or no, last um, October. And we were, he he's always got some new show he's watching. So we sat there and polished off tons of episodes of <laughs> Abbott Elementary. I'm well, honestly bummed that there aren't enough. There aren't that many seasons. I can't yeah. really feel like I can binge it. But um, yeah, I always look forward to it every week. Um, Abbott Elementary. Yeah, that's a good that's one. Fine. It's cute. Yeah. What about you? Do you have one of my, a favorite show or something that you're really into right now that I'm really into right now? Um, well, I'm actually reading. I had never read his dark materials, that series that came out uh -huh. way back when. And so I'm, I just finished the first one and like the first of the, the trilogy and um, I'm starting the second one. So I'm really enjoying that. And I've, I've been making a point um, because I love TV shows. I love mm -hmm. really good dramas. Those are my mm -hmm. favorite thing. Like I recently did this thing where I rewatched all of Breaking Bad and then all of Better Call <laughs> which was, you know, a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of time in. Yeah. I really dedicated a lot of time to that, that uh, world. So um, I'm trying to not start a new show right uh, now because okay. I'm like, no, I need to go to bed earlier. Yeah. Right. I tend to be like a night owl and with children, they don't allow that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to force trick. myself to get <laughs> to bed time. by like nine, eight okay. 45 and then read and go to sleep. So that's been my thing. Okay. Um, lately I love to read, but uh, you know, TV is a total time suck. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been my thing lately is, as um, I'm in the middle that's of funny. That. Cause I get into reading at night and I'm like, oh, I just, I want to know what's next. Or I want to read yes. the next chapter. So I can that never sleep. Happen. That yeah. happens as well. Like the other day I was like, I want to read. I started reading at like eight o'clock and I was up to like 1130. Yeah. <laughs> not great either. Uh, reading is not a wind down for me. It's like, yes. oh, I got to know what's going to happen next. If it's dark in the room, it does help because I'm always tired. Oh, always. Okay. Like I'm always, I could fall asleep <laughs> probably at any given time. 
So I think because I was in my room, I just had like the nightstand light on. It was really dim. Okay. And so I think I, that helps me to get drowsy. But if I read like in the den or any other place, no, I'm, I I have the same problem. So I could fall asleep and get a good time. Oh, yeah. I, I have a two-year-old. You know what it's like. Yeah. You can knock out anywhere. Yeah. I could probably fall asleep right now if I had. They can't sleep. Like... But yeah. Whenever I'm like, why don't you sleep, please? <laughs> Why anyway. don't children need sleep? I don't know, but they don't. <laughs> so how can people find you online or in the real world? You mentioned your Instagram account a minute ago. Yeah. Care about yeah. That. Um, my Instagram is Risa Woods underscore E-L-L. So R-I-S-A-W-O-O-D-S underscore E-L-L. Um, on there, I'm, I'm, I have um, my website and different um, resources that you can check out. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Today. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, coach. I really enjoyed that conversation with Risa. I think she hit on some really important points that can get lost sometimes whenever we are dealing with the reality of kids being required to test at certain times and certain grades and have mastery of English at a certain point. And it's sometimes we fail to build the bridges that we need to actually help kids be successful, not just this year on this test, but in the world that they're going to live in you know, the rest of their lives. So I think that was a really great dialogue. Um, and I appreciate Risa joining me today. You can grab a free webinar for your coaching role. If you are struggling with kind of figuring out what is part of your responsibilities, then I definitely want you to check out my um, define your coaching role webinar. And that's at www.buzzingwithmissb.com slash webinar. Um, next week, we are starting a new theme, which I'm really excited about. You know, I love my themes. We're talking about establishing a coaching program. So whether you're new, brand new coach or new to a school or even a veteran coach, this series will help ensure that you are setting this year up to coach successfully because the things that we can do at the beginning of the year can set us up for success the rest of the year, or we can feel like we missed an opportunity and we're fighting an uphill battle. Definitely join me next week for our new theme. We talk a little bit about adjusting to being out of the classroom. And um, until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.